This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It was very difficult to sort of turn away from the news, and that news was a massive explosion at the Rainbow Bridge, which gets us in Canada across to the United States and right to Niagara Falls. And it's sometimes that fun point of discussion when you get out of the GTA is how are we going to get across? What bridge do we want to take? And people will argue about it. I've been in cars where they're like, hey, we're going right to downtown Buffalo for something fun or we're going to to go shopping, concert, Sabres game, Bills game. Let's let's go right to the Peace Bridge. Nah, nah, I tried that last time. It was too held up. It's better to go to Lewiston. My dad was always a Lewiston guy when we'd cross to go to Buffalo. Whether it was working or not, that's just how he wanted to do it. And the Rainbow Bridge takes you right to Niagara Falls. And yesterday, just before lunchtime, like a calm, well, calm, and it's the busiest travel day of the year on the Wednesday prior to the Thursday and Friday of U.S. Thanksgiving. It's got the most flights, the most airport uh, cars parked at airports, and it sure has the most cross-border traffic. You better get a cry. If you're on Ontario, you know this already. If you're crossing in Sarnia, Blue Water Bridge, Windsor, Ambassador Bridge, or the Tunnel, or any of these four crossings in New York State, arrive early, use that phrase, I roll my eyes at it, pack your patience, all of that. But yesterday, traffic got shut down in both directions for the full day, and the rainbow's not open today. The other ones are, the rainbow isn't. So if you're headed remotely in that direction thinking, ah, they figured it out, it wasn't terrorism, wasn't an act of terror, we still can't figure out, and we probably will never know and I'm not sure that how much digging there is going to be to find out why a car going 100 miles an hour on the American side was plowing through customs and, and going between a first check and a secondary check. It hit a guardrail, went airborne, and a Kathy Hochul, the New York City, uh, New York uh, governor, rather, described it as she didn't know at first if it was artificial intelligence. And I was thinking, kind of cringing. I heard that actually live on John Oakley's show yesterday. I'm like, don't say that. Because in this day and age, 20% of people will think it went airborne. But it caused a stir. And I'm going to defend most of the media here. I've seen a lot of people say, ah, the media made all that big fuss about this. We're reacting to what governments are doing. Okay? So when governments are getting kind of panicky about this, when borders are closed, when uh, briefings are happening between CSIS and the FBI – and yeah, the CIA in the United States, when Joe Biden's been made aware of this one car crash at the Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls, yeah, it's a story. And yeah, you are safe to at least speculate about the worst. Here's Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons making the initial announcement yesterday. Uh, there was a vehicle explosion at the Rainbow Bridge crossing. I've been briefed by the NSIA and the Minister of Public Safety. Uh, CBSA, RCMP and Transport Canada are all fully engaged in providing the necessary support. There are a lot of questions and we are following up to try and get as many answers as rapidly as possible. Uh, we are in close contact with U.S. officials and will continue to work closely with them. Uh, we will continue to be engaged. We will provide updates. Uh, updates I can give right now is there are four border crossings that are right now closed, Rainbow Bridge, Whirlpool Bridge, Queenston Bridge, and Peace Bridge. Uh, Additional measures are being uh, contemplated and activated at all border crossings across the country. So at that moment, with all that surrounds us right now, 
you were very fair. Defend yourself and don't beat yourself up for thinking, what if this is the worst? What could this possibly be? Because we've heard about the heightened level of security that Canada needs to have. And we've heard, we certainly know in the United States, how could we begrudge our American brothers and sisters in New York, in New York State? They've got the big Macy's parade today up and down Manhattan. You don't think there's now more security now than there was 24 hours ago? 6,000 vehicles cross the Rainbow Bridge every single day. And uh, this is going to make things, I think, more, I think trickier if it doesn't open at any point today. They often allow foot traffic on the Rainbow Bridge, but I'm guessing that isn't the case. Tourists can go on the bridge and take amazing pictures of the falls. Like you get some amazing, it depends how good your camera is, but you get some amazing shots of the falls that you're not going to get with any other particular crossing. So I'll be honest, it's not the worst to be stuck on the bridge and, and be in, uh, in being a long customs line. It's actually not bad at all compared to the other stops where you're thinking, this is taking forever. I got nothing to look at, nothing to see. You actually see, again, just this amazing, amazing um, over overhead view because of how high the bridge is of Niagara Falls itself. So I'm sure there'll be more on this as the day continues. We've got our own Matt Cardi in uh, Niagara Falls uh, to sort of give us a sense of the traffic, of further investigations. And the Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati will be on with us in the 7 o'clock hour, right after the 7 o'clock news, as a matter of fact, as well. I'll get to this because I think people are going to talk about it a good chunk of the day. Um, And I was was somebody that was spitting, spitting mad when I found out about it. So I can imagine how people who advocate for uh, the homeless and Toronto's poor and those that don't have a roof over their head feel when they hear this story. But the bottom line is the city turned down an offer from the Trudeau government that would have had homeless people in city armories. I'm told by two counselors by last Saturday. And uh, there'd also be uh, an exhibition grounds building, the Better Living Center, that they were trying to get suitable as well. Um, This is no good. And there's going to need to be an explanation from uh, Mayor Olivia Chow as to how this could potentially happen. But a federal shelter offer was there late last week. The city said no. But earlier this week, uh, Mayor Chow, at a uh, budget consultation involving city residents, seemed to know nothing about it. Now, you can decide for yourself whether this is, uh, I forgot, I don't remember, or I'm not telling the truth here. Here's the mayor. Uh, Our blueprint is ambitious. Uh, It laid out what kind of land we have. Um, We said we're ready to build. It it needs financing support, which is low-cost financing. That piece is in the four economic statement. It needs grants, um, anywhere between 500 to 800 million, and that is not enough, what we are seeing here. Uh, We have applied for uh, for the accelerator funds, the housing accelerator fund, that is about $500 million. We're still hoping to get that. Okay. You can want your $500 million, but they gave you a, a situation that gets people off the street stat. People, the last five nights would have slept inside instead of outside. A guy died in Brampton last week. So are we playing politics or are we trying to help people? Why don't why not get in front of a microphone and say, hey, the federal government did offer us a deal. We don't like it well enough. But I think for too long, the, the city's basically been playing this game. We're not hearing what we need to hear. We're not hearing back at all. That's just not true. 
That's just not true. And Kathy Crow, a uh, homeless advocate, said this. She's a Lilia Chow person. She's pretty ticked off. She's pretty disappointed. That is a scandal. I'm pretty much speechless. And to me, it just suggests there's a lot of politicking going on behind closed doors. And the, the, the basic humanity of providing shelter is not front and center. That's all it is. Basic humanity. Are you playing politics or are you trying to save lives? You can try and do both. You can try and walk that line and get A and B done at the same time. But somebody's going to call you on it sometimes when it looks like it's falling through the cracks. And the federal government looks like to me, they called Olivia Chow on it. And right now there's no answer. They said, you're not going to say that, that we're not responding to phone calls. We're not making offers. We did. And here's the specifics of what we did. And the city now, I don't know where the city goes now with this today. And I don't know what Olivia Chow says. Whatever she does say, we'll bring it to you on 640 Toronto. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Obviously, a day in Niagara Falls, I I think I can say, unlike any other I can remember, um, Jim Diodati is the mayor of Niagara Falls, and he's kind enough to give us some time right now on Toronto Today. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for the time. Good morning, Greg. How do you even, did you sleep much last night even thinking about all the parameters and all the ups and downs and all the circumstances and speculation yesterday? Well, it was an emotional roller coaster yesterday for us at Border Town, and especially at this time, being the U.S. Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I mean, it's the busiest retail time of the year for American friends, and being across Border Town has a big impact, especially the idea that families potentially were going to be separated again after that elongated closure of the border during COVID. And it seems like a recent memory that, that we did the same thing during 9-11. So believe me, the what ifs kept me up at night. Anything to do with the border, the things that keep me up at night. And uh, I was relieved at the end of the day when we finally got the news that it was not a terrorist uh, situation, that it was not an IED I was very yeah. relieved, I have to tell you. Because had it been impossible to speculate when when that border and that and that bridge that's still closed today, we'll get to that in a sec. It's impossible to even speculate when that would reopen had that been the case, right? Absolutely. And and as I say, going into the holiday season, a real tough time and more than ten million vehicles use our four border crossings. So when when those borders close, it makes it really difficult. And especially people here in Niagara, this part of the province, typically will fly out of Buffalo because it's closer and it's easier to get to. And and I was just wondering how are these people going to do this. They're separated again. It was uh, yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my heart goes out to the folks that died at yeah. the bridge. Obviously terrible, but the silver lining is it's not a terrorist situation. I can't tell you, I'm relieved. Jim Diodati is our guest, Mayor of Niagara Falls, joining us on 640 Toronto. I think a lot of emphasis has been on Canadian shoppers going across for Black Friday. But I'll tell you, I know enough people in upstate New York that love coming to Niagara Falls any day of the year. And they've got a four day vacation to do it as well. Like the traffic comes back your way on this holiday a lot, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It's And that's a great point, Greg. You know, simply the fact that we just kicked off our Winter Festival of Lights last weekend, We've got 3 million lights up and 75 animated displays. It's a free display all along the Niagara Parkway. It's gorgeous. And uh, the Americans love coming over. Obviously, their dollar goes a lot farther. And it's a real symbiotic relationship we have with the U.S. Uh, coming this way and then going that way. So it's definitely not a one-way thing. And, and, and you know, the other thing that sometimes we lose sight of, the fact that there's Niagara Falls, USA, Niagara Falls, Canada. Mm-hmm. We always say one big city divided by a border. 
And a lot of us on border towns have family and friends on both sides of the border. So it's difficult, especially, you know, and I mentioned a couple of times COVID where a lot of us have missed important dates, weddings, funerals and whatnot. So it's been hard on families as well. A lot of people live and work on opposite sides of the border. So, yeah, definitely it's a symbiotic relationship. And the, I think it's, I, I wouldn't call it even a, a, a win some, lose some, because nobody wanted to see this happen and nobody wants the, the bridge closed today. But there's not as much commerce for, for truckers. I was speaking to somebody that works pretty high up in a trucking company. He's like, well, obviously that's the time of year we're really slow sending goods to the United States. But the give back is obviously tourists and shopping. So, you know, the, the flow of commerce, maybe it cancels itself out, but it's just not a situation anybody would want, is it? No, it's not. And I think we'll be okay in that case because most of that commercial trade happens at the Peace Bridge in Buffalo mm-hmm. and the Queenston Lewiston Bridge as well. So those ones were closed temporarily. And of course, they opened up again last night. So the Rainbow Bridge is primarily locals and tourists. And and the only good news was it wasn't the, the, the busiest time. It was leading into the busiest time. So I just can't tell you, Greg, I'm just relieved yeah. uh, when I when I got the news. And, and as sad as it is, and it certainly is sad, it could have been much worse. Um, are you at the behest of American authorities as to when the bridge uh, reopens, given the accident happened on that side of the border? Do you just have to keep making calls and wait this out? Is there potential for it to open later tonight? Yes, there is. And so our authorities have been in touch with the U.S. authorities. It's now a local investigative mm-hmm. situation with the local police in Niagara Falls, New York. So the FBI's concluded their, their investigation. It's, it's not a bomb. And, uh, and now we're hoping that they'll do their evaluation, make sure the damages are superficial. And once they get it cleaned up, they know. And believe me, they're working hard to get that bridge open because, as I said, millions of people use it. Many people are planning to access it. And uh, obviously, and revenues to the Bridge Commission for everybody crossing as well. Um, well, I've got you. And and I'll, if, if you want to give me about a minute on it, I'd appreciate it. Every time we have a, a mayor on from a city in Ontario, it's worth asking. Most uh-huh. mayors are saying um, that their homeless populations exploded somewhat, that the problems are worse than they've ever been. We're talking about today federal funding coming to Toronto and other municipalities. I know we're all looking for the feds and the province to sort of step up. I love Niagara Falls. I love coming there with my family. And it's such a tourist destination. What are you seeing and what's that balancing act on your your streets right now, Jim? Well, you, you're exactly right. It's it's the worst that I've ever seen it. And, and some people think it's just in their community. This is, and it's not just Canada. This is global. I talk to people in mm-hmm. Europe and the U.S. It's global. And ever since COVID, it seems, it's, it's, it seems to have exacerbated the problem. And with inflation, the value of houses went up, which led to the, the increase in rentals. It made it less affordable than ever. Here in Canada, we've got a simple, in my opinion, supply and demand issue. We've got too much demand and not enough supply. So we just need to build more housing stock, period. So we're working on that, and we're grateful for the federal money that's coming. The province is working hard to streamline approvals. Um, we obviously respond to the municipal act from the province. So that's all we're looking to do is to build the houses quicker and get people in them. Here in Niagara Falls, yeah, it's the same situation. And it was also further complicated with the closing of Roxham Road and what happened there with the asylum seekers. Many of them mm-hmm. were staying in Niagara Falls. Some still are. So definitely we need more stock and anything that allows us to do that, I'm very much in favor of. I'm not a gambling man. My wife tells me to say that on a regular basis. Uh, but I'd ask you if you think, would you bet that the bridge is open by, say, dinner time tonight? 
Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> and that's probably why I'm not a betting guy either. And I lost on uh, many bets lately. But yeah. I, I would hope, if not today, by tomorrow. I got gotcha. you. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for being uh, so generous with your time. We appreciate it. It helps all of us in Toronto here who are headed in your direction. So thanks for this. Thanks, Greg. And come visit Niagara Falls. Jim Diodati, uh, mayor of Niagara Falls. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The federal government has put an offer on the table, a financial offer on the table, uh, as well as looked at Exhibition Place as uh, a place that would be um, more suitable for people to, uh, to, to get, a, get a shelter over their head. That's Mark Miller. Uh, yesterday, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship. Again, maybe all this conversation uh, expedites the process, gets us to a better place with it getting colder. Um, the last couple nights more mild. But uh, again, none of this uh, solves anything uh, in the long term. And uh, I think we're all hopeful for a solution. It's Toronto Today. It's Greg Brady, 640 Toronto. I want to welcome on um, City Councilor for uh, Toronto, Gord Perks. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Well, of course, Greg. It's nice to be here. Um, you, you heard uh, uh, Mr. Miller there. I know there's some dispute about what transpired here. His point is the federal government put an offer on the table, financial offer, to open up these armories. And there was a television story last night on Global that says the city turned it down. What's what's fair comment about that? I, I, Greg, you're, you're, you're past my depth. I don't know the whole backstory here. Mm-hmm. The mayor and uh, the city manager have been having conversations uh, with the federal government about the the fact that uh, you know our shelter system is filling up, uh, well it's over full, and a large part of that is dealing with uh, people seeking refuge in Canada, and in no one's understanding of intergovernmental relations is that Toronto's job. Yeah. So uh, I don't know all the ins and outs. I do know that as of today, right now, we are paying. Uh, millions a month uh, for what is a federal and provincial responsibility. And it's not like we have money to spare. No, no. And it's it, absolutely. And most people look at the letter Mayor Chow wrote. Most of the councillors signed it. It was to Bill Blair. It was to Harjit Sajan and say, absolutely. The onus has to go back to the federal government. How frustrating has it been that they haven't moved very quickly on these fronts, Gord? Well, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time uh, with vulnerable people and, and frontline workers who are serving people who uh, don't currently have a home. And the circumstances today, if, if something goes wrong in your life and you wind up, with, wind up without a home and you go to a shelter, they will tell you it's full. Good luck to you. And that's despite the city increasing the size of our shelter system by 50% over the last year and a half. It is so... I don't like, you know, here we are, this enormously wealthy society, mm-hmm. and we, we can't get this one basic thing right. It, it, I, I, Greg, I don't have words. How many millions is it costing the city per month, would you estimate? Uh, it's more than five. Yeah. And, and that's after, like, you know, we, we are providing the service, and we did get some money from the federal government. We got $90 million, I think. Um, but that's... Uh, probably about 60 million short of what we're spending a year. So, so that's going to be more than 10 million a month. 
Gord Perks is our guest. Oh, it's unbelievable. Again, I, I'm I'm shocked by that. And and you're used to these huge numbers and and looking at this problem and saying this is just we deal with the ramifications. We can't raise our own revenue. That's nothing nothing you can you can help. And we have to count on these levels of government who handle this. It's clearly a federal responsibility, Gord. It is. It is. Uh, well, there's, there's some pieces of it that are provincial. It, there's, it's complicated, but none of it is none of it is local government, right? We're supposed yeah. to p- fix potholes and, you know, r- run community centers and keep the libraries open. We're not supposed to do this. And uh, it's that thing, like, uh, you know, because we're the local government, when something goes terribly wrong, nobody really much cares whose jurisdiction it is. We, we've got to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's when people are sleeping on our streets, I mean, can you imagine you're, you're fleeing a war somewhere in the world? Uh, you land at Pearson and someone tells you, take a taxi to this address and you go there and there are a bunch of people sleeping on the sidewalk. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. And, and we've certainly heard from those people um, who say that this is not, you know, th- this is not humane. The people advocating for them certainly say that as well. So let's say let me lay this out for you. If this was a game somehow, because it happens in politics, a game of broken telephone. And Mark Miller said to the city today, hey, in case there was a misunderstanding, we'll open up Moss Park. We'll open up the Fort York Armories as shelter space. And we're going to give you money so you can put a shelter at the Better Living Center for much of the winter Shouldn't the city say yes to that? Uh, yeah, we, we should, you know, get to an arrangement where they are paying these costs. Mm-hmm. And also, the other thing that we've got to be really clear about is uh, the shelter. The shelter option is is the short term, right? You, people people who wind up in the shelter system, whether they're fleeing violence somewhere in the world, fleeing violence at home, or they just had a run of bad luck and can't make rent, mm. whatever reason they're in the shelter system, their stay should be short and non-recurring, right? We got to get them into housing. And that's the, the next thing that the federal and provincial governments have to think about. Gord Perks is our guest on 640 Toronto and Toronto Today. You're having budget consultations right now. You're going to different communities. Some people love the idea that it's interactive. I want to know how you filter out the feasible ideas and, and maybe even the light bulbs that go off and say, yes, the people the people want this more than we might have thought six months ago. How do you filter out a ton of consultation with members of the public? Well, um, we, one of the things we've done is try to guide the conversation. A little bit and get some very specific questions in front of people you know we, we walk people through this is how much it costs to run a uh, fire department this is how much it costs to have recreation centers open and this is how much money we've got what would and first question is what should we do more of and the next question is what should we do less of and you've got to pick from the services that we, we currently have so that's a way of uh, really, you know, focusing the information. What do people tell you they'd like to see trimmed back or cut or made more efficient? Uh, I, we haven't got it, all of it in yet. So I, I don't want to, uh, you know, give you a partial information. I'm actually uh, gearing up to go to the consultation on Saturday 
mm-hmm. at the Central Reference Library for the, the sort of Toronto East York area. We've only had two of the four live ones, and we've still got a ways to go on the online consultation. So we haven't got all those answers yet. Uh, is there anything that you are hoping to hear that the public says, Gord Perks wants to cut it and it makes sense and it's inefficient and we spend too much money on this. And if the public agrees, you're like, OK, then then it gives us the uh, the onus to do that. Well, I mean, part of part of the my job, I'm the vice chair of the budget committee. Mm-hmm. Part of my job is to look at every single department. And like we, we sit down with the general managers of each branch of the Toronto Public Service and say, OK, you run the parks, forestry, uh, yeah. recreation. Uh, show me if I told you you had to cut ten million out of your budget. Show me how you can do it with inefficiency. And we just go through, mm. you know, the forestry area, or, and we do this every year. And you know, year after year, we find, believe it or not, a few hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a big budget, right? Yeah, but thirteen billion. We find a few hundred million dollars, a couple of percentage points where we learn how to do something better. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just part of the annual routine we do at the city of Toronto. We know you need the federal help. And I think most people agree the federal government's not doing what they need to be doing right now. So hopefully we get to a better place the next time we chat. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Greg. Bye now. Gord Perks joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Shiba Siddiqui joins me right now, our producer. Now, you saw a Toronto crime story, and you're about to share, uh, which we like when we're we're very honest and forthcoming. You saw a story, and it reminded you of an experience you had. Tell us about the story, and then go where you want with your experience. Okay, so Toronto police have released new images of a man who's wanted for recording victims inside U- University of Toronto campus washroom stalls. So this is around Spadina and Wilcox Street. This is between July and October of this year. The man would walk into sort of loiter outside of women's washrooms and the gender neutral showers, which for me, this is concerning because I, I also lived in a co-ed res the, and it was a different time than gender neutral showers. When you see that and there's a guy lurking around outside the shower while you're showering, you wouldn't think twice about it now. When you lived in res though, you couldn't. You didn't share it. Like a, a guy couldn't walk out of a shower and go your turn, and then it's a, a female's turn. Pretty much, yeah. You could, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I had we had uh, my res floor at U of T was was a uh, coed. Okay. So the the bathrooms were coed, the stalls, the showers, everything was coed. So uh, it was, you know, it took some time to get used to. Anyways, with this guy, he loiters outside, he takes pictures, he often places a cell phone underneath the stall to record the victims. And these victims are from as young as 14 years old to 21. This is happening on U of T campus. They're looking for this guy. Um, it's, it's just a very awful situation. When I read this article, I thought, oh, okay, it's still happening. Because the same thing happened to me when I was at U of T. Uh, same thing. I was living in res. I remember I was showering one day. This was in the summer. I was taking a summer school course and I was in res for the summer showering. I look up and there's a guy who had climbed over like the the wall. And, yeah. And was hanging over it and watching me shower. And and oh, as soon as God. I looked up and saw him, he disappeared. And, you know, thank goodness back then, you know, you don't carry yourself around. You weren't recording everything back then. But, yeah, absolutely happened to me. And what did I do? I went downstairs. I complained about it. Yeah. And they said, oh, okay, thanks. We'll look into it. Never heard anything again. I suppose this is easier than ever. Now, now there's two things here. One, the technology with security cameras allows us to find this guy. Toronto police put a photo of him out. And I don't think he's going to be terribly 
I, I'm sure they'll find him. I have a lot of confidence in that. But the second thing is, and this is the bad part, the technology's probably changed that you can put a camera practically anywhere. I'll give you a quick quick thought is I did a res tour with my son on, on Friday, right, at TMU, at, at uh, Toronto Metropolitan, and you can go in and you can see a four-bedroom res. But the girl who lives in one of those rooms gets to show you around. She's like, there's just one rule. You can't come in in my room. The other three are locked. We don't know where, like, kids are on campus. And and so I understood why that was, but you, the room's so small anyway. You can kind of see it. But the first thing I thought of was they probably don't want anybody stepping in and hiding some kind of a mini tiny camera that's the size wow. of a button. I, I, like, I don't know why that's what occurred to me, but there had to be a security seen- issue as to why that wouldn't be allowed. Well, you found this incredible list of most common places to find hidden cameras indoors, like electrical outlets, wall decor, desk plants, tissue boxes. Have you ever seen a camera that tiny? No, no. Um, but wasn't now I, I'm, I should remember this. The awful, awful, awful uh, Jan Gameshi. I was just about to bring awful, that up. Awful, awful, awful uh, circumstances with Jan Gameshi, the former radio and TV host at CBC, with the teddy bear. Now, did he have a teddy bear that had a camera in it? Am I remembering this wrong, or did he no, have a this teddy is right. bear? He used to sit in the corner of his yeah. bed and he would record his victim, and he would and be like, how- "Say hi to Teddy," and it, and people are like, uh, "Girls are over at his place." Are like, "What?" I'm saying, "Who?" Exactly. Um, and this is how the story broke because this pattern was the key pattern when victims would talk about Teddy. Like this so- police list says, you could put a, a, a camera inside a, a hair dryer. What? That's nuts. That's nuts. So it's not, yeah, it's not like uh, 1978. You can put it inside of a pen. You can put it inside of a, uh, yeah, the lava lamps. DVD cases. DVD. Half the kids won't even know what that is. That's right. VHS or beta. We'll find this guy. They're going to find this guy. But the but the big thing is, convict him, charge him, let him have his day in court, convict him, and give him a sentence that's actually worthy so he doesn't do it again and again. And, all and that? I'm glad to see that the university is actually taking it seriously this time, as yeah. opposed to they just shrug their shoulders when it happened to me. They seem to be.